Welcome to Commando On Demand Insider, your fast-paced weekly update straight from Kim's desk to your ears. I'm Mike James, and in just a bit, the amazing success story of Toshua Parker, who went from a failed Phoenix real estate investor in 2008 to a very successful grocery store owner in his hometown of Gustavus, Alaska, and how he went from a quarter million dollars in debt to using a small airplane to supply his grocery store. Some call it Toshco. And this great story is coming up, as well as we've all heard the stories of drones eventually being everywhere, from delivery drones to drones that actually clean up sports stadiums with antiseptic. Well, Kim's going to be talking to Jonathan Bass. He's the head of marketing and communications with Wing, which is a subsidiary of Alphabet, Google's parent company which has built an autonomous fleet of small, lightweight delivery drones that can transport small packages directly to homes in minutes. Wing has conducted more than 100,000 flight tests, and we're going to see how that's going in today's edition of Commando On Demand. And a real quick reminder, this is not the Kim Commando Show. Every week, Kim gives you the very latest in tech news, tips, DIYs, and we take the questions on the Kim Commando Show. And that is available as a podcast. You just want to go to getkim.com. If you'd like, you can try it for free for 30 days. Just use promo code Kim. That's getkim.com and use promo code Kim for your free 30-day trial. After that, it's $4.99 a month. Successful entrepreneur Toshua Parker is next. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. If you think it's tough for you to get milk and eggs and disinfectant wipes, paper towels, toilet paper, imagine if you lived in Gustavus, Alaska, 48 air miles west of Alaska's state capital, Juneau, and southeast Alaska. Now, imagine this. Gustavus is completely surrounded by the distant mountains and the ice fields of Glacier Bay National Park on three sides. Okay, so it's all enclosed. The fourth side is the ocean, so it's very isolated. And when I read about Toshua Parker, I knew that you would want to know more about him, too, because Tosh says the local store at the time, when he started thinking about making some changes in his life, was charging about $12 for a gallon of milk. When you could buy that gallon of milk for about three bucks, just 60 miles away at Costco in Juneau. So Tosh knew that there had to be a better way. There was an opportunity here. And in this time when so many people are losing their jobs, you're feeling down, you might be feeling hopeless. We need a great inspirational story. And Tosh, thanks so much for being here. Uh, first question is, toilet paper is really hard to get here in the lower 48. So how are you supplying the 500 residents with everything that they need? Yeah, well, it was interesting when this whole hit. Um, we found out about it when we put a order in for the week, and we got one case of toilet paper uh, on our order for the entire community. So we uh, figured out we had a problem, and we had to get on the ball quick. So I started calling kind of everything you can imagine, every supplier down south I could find, 
and including some really odd ones who you wouldn't normally buy toilet paper from and said, hey, do you guys have a pallet of toilet paper sitting up on your backstock somewhere, uh, even for your store that you're using yourself that we could buy? So we were able to kind of at the very beginning of all this source enough pallets of toilet paper um, to be able to get through the worst of it until that supply chain kind of leveled back out. So we had toilet paper coming from really all over the place, from Washington, from um, Idaho, uh, from multiple locations in Alaska, um, but it worked out. So we've yet to ever run out of toilet paper, and we uh, have a good supply in case uh, anything else happens. <laughs> That's terrific. I'm happy to hear that. All right. So how did you come up with this idea for Tashko? Well, yeah, this is an interesting one. I have zero retail experience. Um, really don't have a clue what I'm doing in retail, to be honest. Um, I came from a background of real estate. I've uh, been doing real estate since I was a teenager, flipping homes, uh, mobile homes, and buying and selling, and then got into commercial real estate, um, and also had an online business um, doing information marketing related to uh, real estate investing. And 2008 solved all those problems for me. Um, up until I got into commercial real estate, I had never borrowed money on any projects. It always been cash. But then getting into big commercial projects, we ended up going to the banks and uh, ended up losing them all in 2008. Um, Simple things like not being able to refinance perfectly performing properties because no one was lending uh, when the whole crash was happening. So kind of ended up coming back to Alaska with my tail between my legs as the best way to put it because I had to sell my home in Phoenix, close the businesses, um, lay off the employees, the whole shebang. And came back here and tried to decide now what um, I was, which totally broke and uh, more than totally broke. I had extended over a quarter million dollars of credit cards and everything else during the 2008 crash, trying to keep things going as one does, um, even though I never had credit card debt before. So I came back here with a huge bill and, and no idea what to do next. And the only thing I could see is that the local grocery store here was charging what seemed like at the time an exorbitant amount of money for groceries. Um, when you could get groceries relatively affordably in Juneau, just 60 miles away. So the problem was this, this, the chain to get it there, that last mile delivery. How do you get it here efficiently? Um, so I kind of came up with this idea to, to start a grocery store, as crazy as it sounds, an independent grocery store, and um, source the stuff in Juneau and bring it out in a boat or an airplane or a ferry or whatever it took to get it here affordably. Um, and uh, that's kind of how the store was born. The building itself, it was an old self, well, I say old, it was a self-storage facility that I had started building before the 2008 crash and never finished. So there were no doors on it. It, As you can imagine, a self-storage building, there was no doors on it. It was just a bunch of openings all the way around, and there were some interior walls that were framed up for different storage units. So I went in and ripped all those out and uh, worked on it to convert it into a store, which was interesting task. So you have this steel frame building, right? It's actually wood frame up here, but yeah. <laughs> oh, a wood frame. Okay. A wood frame building. Uh-huh. And you have the idea for a store and you have no money. Uh, you have a quarter of a million dollars in credit card debt. Mm-hmm. Um, that would make that would make the average person just want to go ice fishing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So where did you get the first funding to at least buy the supplies to build out the store? Now we're going to call it a store to build out the store instead of the, you know, the storage place and also buy your first round of groceries. 
Yeah, well, that was difficult, obviously, being totally broke. Um, to build out the store, I wheeled and dealed. It's, there's a lot of strange stories. Um, I had a buddy of mine at the time that was doing drywall work, and he wanted a pig for his local farm. So I actually took my boat down uh, to another place in Alaska to pick up a pig for him and brought it in and trade for him doing the drywall work because I didn't have any money. Um, like I said, there's a lot of interesting stories that go into how it actually got done. The build-out of the store itself, I mean, something as simple as you go in a grocery store and you see all the shelving, but when you have no money, where in the world do you come up with shelving or build it or what do you do? So I happened to hear that there was a big store remodeled going from one of the chain stores in Juneau, um, and I went into Juneau and found out that they were throwing away all their old shelving and upgrading out in the dumpsters and talked to the contractors who informed me that they couldn't officially tell me to take it, but unofficially um, they leave at this time, and whatever's not the dumpster, they could care less about. So you went dumpster diving? I went dumpster diving, and unfortunately they had also ripped all the flooring out of the building after they put the shelving in, so I had to dig through piles and piles of warehouse flooring to get to the shelving. It was quite a project. And uh, got a bunch of shelving, put it in my boat, brought it back here. While I was in Juneau, I found a guy on... Uh, that had an old refrigerator and freezer in his garage that he'd sell for a hundred bucks. So I picked those up and that's kind of how I outfitted the store for basically no money. Um, and then was able to do a handful of odd jobs for people, um, just doing weird things, trading or selling a handful of little things I had left and came up with about $3,000 in cash to go to Costco for the first trip and buy things, um, which does not go very far at Costco when you're trying to come up with, a grocery store, everything from cleaning supplies to milk. Uh, basically, I got one or two of a bunch of items um, and brought it out, put it on the shelf, and opened. And, uh, of course, the problem is you sell out immediately. Um, basically, within a few minutes, the people had come in and bought what I had. So I had to get back and go back to Juno and do it again. So then that started the cycle of just turning inventory, just uh, buying inventory, taking whatever margin and profit you make on it and, and investing that in more inventory and uh, just trying to build the store up from there. So you had a boat. At least you had a boat. What kind of boat was it in the beginning? It was, a, it was an aluminum crabbing boat, about a 37-foot aluminum crabbing boat. And then it, it became an issue where you couldn't – it was obvious we were going to have to resupply a couple times a day to keep up with it. And the state ferry had not started coming to Gustavus yet. So it really, the best way to bring it out at that point to get it here that frequently was an airplane. But again, I was broke. So buying an airplane didn't seem possible, but I did have one thing left. I had an old hangar building, uh, which is one of the things I had after the crash left um, and found a guy down South who wanted the building and traded me an airplane uh, back in, uh, boy, I think it was Virginia or something. And, uh, I had a, so I ended up with an airplane and had a couple guys fly it up for free. Um, if I bought the fuel just so they could get some time flying a student pilot and his instructor. So we got the plane up here and then we started using that to fly back and forth multiple times a day to get groceries. Cause like I said, we bring groceries out, sell them and then have to go back and get more. Cause I just couldn't afford to have anything on the shelf. So how much, how much groceries could you, I assume it was a small plane, right? Was it a, like a 172 or? Yeah, it was a 182. Yeah. Four seats, very small. Um, you know, maybe put 800 pounds of uh, stuff in there at the max. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really limited what you could bring. And, uh, the store sales started kind of skyrocketing real quickly. It's a small town. So people found out about it and, Everything from dog food to milk to softener salt uh, went in that airplane. And um, it was quite a project to keep up with until the ferry started. 
Uh, and, you know, starting the store, I, I knew the state ferry was going to start service out here within the next year because that had been being planned for years. Um, so that was always the long-term goal is that's the way to make this scalable uh, and work is to use the state ferry to ship in truckloads of, of product. But until then, uh, I wanted to get the store open and established, which required doing it the hard way. Hey, don't forget, if you've got a good question about something digital, you can get Kim's unbiased advice and it's advice that you can trust. America's digital pro, Kim Commando, and our nationally syndicated radio show. You just go to commando.com and in the upper right-hand corner, click on the Be a Caller button. We're going to ask you your name and for a couple of details about your question. And then Manny will get in touch with you. We'll set up a time where you can be on the show, ask your question on the show. It is fun. You can call your friends and let them know that you're going to be on the show. And that's, again, the Be a Caller button in the upper right at commando.com. All right, coming up, it's more of Kim's conversation with Tashua Parker. Some of the lessons he's learned from building a very successful grocery store in Alaska. Well, Commander listeners know technology moves so fast it's almost impossible to keep up with everything going on. And that's why there's Commando On Demand Insider. It's our way of keeping you informed and on the cutting edge of technology And we're continuing our conversation with Tashua Parker. When we left off, he had bought a plane to help stock his stores. Here's Kim. You have airplane fuel. You have costs. Were you flying the plane? Uh, Myself and my father. My father was the uh, pilot, uh, so I kind of tapped him to to fly back and forth to Juneau, but I would go with him, which was good because there's a lot of work to do. We have to go into Costco, shop everything, put it in a car, check it out, put it in a car, put it in the airplane, fly out, unload it, put it in the car here, take it to the store, put it on the shelves and go and do it all over again. But of course, having another person in the airplane also limits the amount of weight you can carry. Um, so it, it was quite a challenge for a while. It was a full-time job and, and uh, very stressful to keep up with everything. And we told Dad he had to lose a few pounds. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he told me that probably. <laughs> um, so how did how how did you price something? I mean, let's say let's just say for something for example was five dollars at Costco in Juno, and how I mean how do you come up with what the cost of this the cost of goods sold is going to be? Yeah, it was really difficult because having zero grocery store experience and zero retail experience really at this point, I didn't know how to do that. So I came up with a pricing model that actually is still in effect to today. Um, and it was basically a 33% margin on the product sold, um, gross margin, not including shipping or anything like that. So for in your example, if it costs $5 at Costco, it would cost seven fifty on our shelf. But in that seven fifty covers all the shipping, all the handling, the store operations and everything else. So that's the margin I came up with when it, uh, in the beginning, and we're still holding it to this day, really. What did the owner of the current local store think about you coming in? You know, it's hard to say. They had that the other local store had been here since the uh, '80s and gone through a couple ownership changes. So these were the new owners. They had both the hardware store and the grocery store at the time. Um, they, uh, I'm sure, they weren't too happy about it, but they weren't that uh, they weren't that worried about it when it first started because it was just so small. It was kind of a joke. Um, handful of items. Um, but you know, one of the things is they had, in in my opinion, kind of missed the opportunity because people had been asking for a long time for Costco products, uh, available here in Gustavus. And I believe they always looked at Costco as almost their competitor. 
Um, they're either going to buy it from our store, or they're going to go to Juno and buy it from Costco. So since they're our competitor, we're not going to buy stuff from them. And I also don't think they like the fact that at Costco, if you buy it from Costco and carry Costco items, then all your customers know exactly what you paid for them. Um, there's no secret. And that, uh, that visibility can be uncomfortable if you have a pretty high margin, which they did at the time. Um, so I think uh, they kind of just poo-pooed the Costco idea and said, well, we don't want to have anything to do with that, told their customers they don't want to have anything to do with bringing Costco items in. But, I mean, that's what the customers wanted. It was pretty obvious talking to people that that's what they wanted was access to Costco out here. Um, because it's just like being in a city. You go to Costco frequently unless you live a place where you can't get to one, and we could kind of supply those same products they wanted here locally. How many different SKUs do you have on the shelves? Boy, I wish I knew. I ought to know. Um, it's uh, it's a lot because we've expanded into hardware and lumber as well. Um, and, uh, you know, off the top of my head, I actually don't know, but it's uh, it's quite a few. <laughs> so anything from flour and rice to lumber appliances? We bring appliances in occasionally. We don't necessarily stock them all the time, but, yeah, we do bring appliances in Um Pretty much someone can special order almost anything through us, and we will source it and get it for them, or uh, we can also just freight it in for them. We do freight as well um, for people who are ordering products from out of town who want to bring it in. What is the basis of the economy there in Costavos? Is it tourist? Yeah, the the number one employer here is really the park service. Um, the parks are, we're right on the edge of the parks. It's pretty much surrounded by the National Park and National Monument. So they're really the number one employer. They do a lot of research. Uh, they have a lot of tourism-related activities. Um, and secondarily to that, here in Gustavus, locally, what we have is tourism. That's pretty much what we have is those two things. Um, so it makes a season like this particularly challenging for the community uh, because the revenue for even the park services is greatly dependent on uh, tourism. They have a head tax on every um, every passenger on a cruise ship that goes up bay. And with those cruise ships not happening, that's millions of dollars of revenue that the that local National Park Service won't be getting either. So both us, you know, our small community and the Park Service gets pretty affected by um, things like this tourism stop that's going on right now. And I'm sure so your sales have decreased because I assume that you probably supply goods and services to like lo- local restaurants and businesses. I mean, somebody who might need paper plates or somebody who might need hot dogs. And has the pandemic affected you? It has, but in a strange way. Um, you're absolutely correct that we supply a lot of the lodges, the fishing lodges, the inns um, with a lot of products. So, you know, we expect to have a pretty slow summer. But the interesting thing is so far in the spring is we've actually had a busier spring than normal. Um, And that's we've been trying to figure out why. And I think one of the reasons is with the pandemic going on, people aren't traveling. And also the supply chain's broken a lot of places. So a lot of people that used to order groceries, say, from Juneau and have them flown in, or they take their vehicle to Juneau on the ferry, which isn't running right now in Gustavus. Uh, and maybe load up on groceries while they're there and bring it back. That's not really happening right now. Um, so we're supplying more of the community than even normal. So it, it is kind of strange. We expect to get uh, we expect to get hurt this summer without the tourism. But for right now, things are going just fine. So how many employees do you have? Well, between see, we have a few different companies, but between the store and and we also do fuel and freight. With they're all kind of combined, they they share loads between each other. So totally with everyone, it's probably about fifteen people. So you're so you're you're like the guy who's coming in and owning the town there, Tosh. 
Oh, now, now, now you're starting to sound like one of the locals making a joke about me. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, are you, you, sure, you going to run for mayor or what? No, absolutely not. No, I uh, don't need that. Um, you know, it's one of those things is a small town. There was a lot of opportunity here in a way because um, there was a lot of stuff for sale. The fuel company had been established here since the 80s was for sale. Um, and uh, there was no one doing freight really reliably uh, at the time we started the store. So we kind of started doing freight as well um, and then have extended in some other businesses here. So the, the thing about a small community like this is great is you can do almost anything and be successful. You can hang a shingle up tomorrow and start a business and make it successful because there is no competition. It's not cutthroat. It's not all that stuff that you'd run into in a normal environment. However, the trade-off is there's no money here, um, you know, or very limited amount of money. So there's only so much business you can have at the end of the day. So after the 2008 crash and getting wiped out, I've pretty much tried to stick to businesses that are more or less recession-proof. Um, businesses like fuel, groceries, those kind of things that people need, necessity businesses, uh, so that, um, you know, you can kind of weather these kind of things. So what's next for you, Tosh? You don't want to be mayor of of that little town there, and you know there's probably unless you start the bank, you probably own the bank. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know about a bank. I don't think I want to be in that business right now either, to be honest. Um, you know, I uh, I really appreciate having the opportunity here in Gustavus and uh, to do what we've done, and we have an amazing staff here, and I don't get a chance to point that out enough. A lot of people give me credit for what's going on when it's the reality is it's the staff that's here working every day you know, in the middle of this pandemic, coming to work every single day, putting themselves at risk that are making this thing work. Uh, you, the, it can survive at this point without me, but it can't survive without them. So, you know, I, I need to give them the majority of the credit for what's going on for sure. But, you know, hopefully for me in the future, I'd like to get back in the technical side of things um, and real estate, which is really my first love. I still do real estate on the side. I still buy and sell homes um, and that kind of thing on the side. And I'm developing some online uh, businesses around buying and selling real estate right now, actually, um, that would be more of a, a, a rollout nationwide. Um, so just trying to get back into that world again slowly after kind of reinventing myself here. Well, congratulations on Toshko. If I ever get to Gustavus, I'm going to definitely stop by and say hello. Yes. Well, appreciate it, Kim. And you're uh, welcome to come visit. Uh, I come down to Phoenix all the time, so maybe you should come up here and visit instead. <laughs> well, I think today it's going to be 180 degrees. To, no, it's, I think it's like 110 this week. What's the weather like there now? Uh, well, I'm sitting in the shade right now, and I think it's going to be about uh, 65, 68 today, which sounds cold if you're from Phoenix, I understand. But uh, up here, that's that's blazing hot. You know, By the time you hit 70, you're going to have heat stroke. <laughs> What What is the temperature in the winter? You know, it's pretty mild. Um, we have stretches where we get below zero for a short stretch, but that's all, usually a few days or a week. Uh, the reality is most of the time we're in the 20s and 30s, uh, somewhere right in there. So we have pretty mild winters. We're not like the interior of Alaska that gets way below zero and stays there. But uh, also means in the summer we don't get as warm. Um, further up, they get up in the 80s and higher, um, and we just don't get that here typically. Well, thanks for sharing your story with us, Tosh. I do hope to meet you someday. Thanks again for joining us. All right. Thank you, Kim. Hey, if you love this digital stuff and you love to be on the cutting edge of what's going on, sign up for Kim's Breaking Tech News. So we've got security alerts. We've got data breaches and much more digital know-how. It's the free Commando Newsletters. and You can get yours, again, free at commando.com, which is K-O-M-A-N-D-O. 
And on the top, click on the Get the Newsletters button, and you got them. Next up, we've all heard all the stories about drones being everywhere, and especially delivery drones. Kim is going to talk to Jonathan Bass. He's the head of marketing and communications for Wing, which is a subsidiary of Alphabet, Google's parent company. They've built an autonomous fleet of small, lightweight delivery drones. We'll find out more next on Commando On Demand Insider. I know that so many of you have a drone that you've been playing around with. I mean, I see your videos on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram and good stuff like that. And we've been hearing promises, right, for many years of getting our orders, our prescriptions, our pizzas, you name it, delivered by drones. And back in July 2015, I don't know if you remember this, the FAA granted NASA the drone delivery company. It's like Flirte and Virginia Tech. And they started delivering medicine. And then 7-Eleven and Domino's Pizza, they've been toying around with drone delivery. And then we have CVS was partnering with UPS. And of course, you know, Amazon's drone with prime delivery, they've been promising that for many years. It was interesting to me that back in 2017, I don't know if you remember this, but at the Marriott Marquis Hotel in Chicago, they were actually using drones to deliver cocktails and drinks to tables of guests at some of the properties. Now, in this time of social distancing, that might actually take off. And sometimes new technology needs a compelling reason. And COVID-19 is it when it comes to drones. So Wing, a subsidiary of Alphabet, that's Google's parent company, of course, they have this entire fleet of small, lightweight delivery drones that can transport small packages to homes in just minutes. And they've had more than 100,000 plus flights over three different continents. But I think is interesting about the wing drone delivery service is that over the last month or so, you know, we, we hear about how food delivery is crazy and, um, you know, Costco's two days now, now 16 day delivery and everything else. But over the past month, signups for wing drone delivery service have increased 350%. Wow. Think about that. 350%. So joining us to talk about how drone delivery is helping during this pandemic is Jonathan Bass. He's the head of marketing and communications for Wing. Um, Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us. Let me ask you a question. What's the strangest thing that Wing has ever delivered by a drone? That's that's a great question. Uh, so lately, we've been delivering a lot of single rolls of toilet paper. Uh, so <laughs> that that might seem strange to some folks. Uh, we we delivered a uh, a wedding ring for an engagement, but that was one of our employees. Um, so a, an engagement ring, rather. Uh, so uh, you know, more more beautiful than strange, maybe. You know, it's so just so somebody just needed one roll of toilet paper, not like 50. I mean, that seems like we're all looking at this toilet paper shortage for some reason. That's interesting. So how does the process work, Jonathan? I mean, obviously, you have to be in a community. What is it in West Virginia? You have a community. Is that right? It's uh, southwest Virginia. So it's it's near Virginia Tech in a town called Christiansburg, uh, Virginia. But it, so so it works like this. You you we provide an app. We developed a, a mobile app. Uh, you you pull up the item that you want on the app, and then you select a location. So we'll give you one or two options, usually your driveway, your front yard, your backyard. Then you you select order, and we we load the order, and the dr- the drone takes off. About you know five to ten minutes later, it drops the package uh, a- attached to a tether on the location you selected. So the the entire process typically takes about ten minutes or less. Wow, really? 
that's something. So 10-minute delivery for a roll of toilet paper, whoever knew. I mean, if you really needed it. Now, um, the weight of the packages, what's the limitation? The weight of, yes, the pa- we can hold up to about three pounds. You know, so it's a meal for one or two people. We deliver a lot of, of beverages, coffee. We deliver a lot of you know, over-the-counter medications. Uh, so so it's, it's actually heavier than you think, uh, three pounds. But, but yes, it's a relatively small package, lightweight. And then what is the perimeter? So if I wanted to order something, uh, like how many miles away is that drone capable of going? It's, it's around a 10-mile round trip, so, so five, six miles each way, that's, uh, 10 to 12-mile round trip. And then does the yeah. drone just do one delivery, or is it capable of carrying a couple of things and making a few stops? It, it, each drone does one, one delivery. So it, it's a, it's a single, uh, out and back typically. Okay. So, so the drone comes, comes into my house with my meds or whatever it is, my backyard, front yard, like you said, where I specify it, does it land on the ground or does it drop the package down on a tether or something like that? No, that that's a great question. So it, 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 cruises at about 100, 150 feet ab- above the ground. Um, so well above, the, you know, the trees, but well below any other aircraft. And then it, it hovers, it, it drops to around 20 to 25 feet, typically 23 feet above the ground. And the package is on a hook on a tether, and it slowly lowers the package to the ground in that location. But it never really gets below about 20 feet. Uh, so it, does, it doesn't interact with anything on the ground. It's safer that way. Well, that's fascinating to me. Um... So the companies that you have signed up, have they seen their sales increase? Yes, I, that's been one of the more gratifying parts of what's happening right now. So we have a, a lot of, we, we have you know partnerships with large organizations like Walgreens and, and FedEx, but also some smaller organizations, you know, a cafe, coffee shop, and they've told us that at a time when their foot traffic has dwindled basically to nothing, uh, this has really increased their business. We, we have a cafe in Virginia that says they deliver more pastries now than they did before the coronavirus outbreak. So it's it's allowing them to kind of keep the lights on, keep the business going while they're they're suffering from reduced foot traffic and sales. You know, it's fascinating technology. I hope you get to Phoenix soon. Please come to Phoenix because I desperately want to try this out. Jonathan Bass, head of marketing communications for Wing, and that's, of course, Alphabet, Google's drone company that I expect we're going to see a whole lot more of these drones in many more communities as time goes on. Jonathan, once again, thanks so much for your time. A little update, what's going on with that company. Thanks for listening to Commando On Demand and a special thanks to Toshua Parker, who went from a failed Phoenix real estate investor to a very successful grocery store owner in Gustavus, Alaska. And we also talked to Jonathan Bass, the head of marketing and communications for Wing. And thank you so much for listening Of course, we always remind you, if you haven't already, to subscribe to the podcast. You get these downloaded to your device every single week automatically. And we'll see you next time for another edition of Commando On Demand Insider. And right now, some final thoughts from Kim. I've always wondered, with so much horrible content getting on Facebook, child porn, murders, beatings, rapes, and terrorism, what kind of material is left to get filtered out? Who does it? The answer is shocking. Whatever unspeakable content that's actually censored, never making it to Facebook, is done by a staff of so-called moderators, mostly third-party contract labor, who work for other companies hired by Facebook. The Verge reports that thousands have been so traumatized by having to watch live actual child abuse, murder, suicides, you name it, 
that Facebook is paying more than 11,000 of them $1,000 in compensation. And up to 50,000 if ever in the future they're diagnosed with PTSD related to all the disturbing content on Facebook. That's how bad it really is on Facebook. I'm Kim Commando.